It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, in the book of Job, chapter 7, verse 6, Job said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And now that we're in June, and soon we'll be able to say that the year is half over, I'm thinking, wow, our days go by so, so quickly. And all the more reason to build our lives on the Word of God and the truth of the gospel. Well, we welcome you to today's edition of Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here with Bert Harper, and you are listening to the American Family Radio Network, and we're so honored that you are. Bert, it's good to be back, and we can start another week and continue our journey through the New Testament book of Acts. We can, and we hope everybody had a good Memorial Day weekend. Appreciate those men and the families that have given their lives for our country's freedom and uh, the liberty we have in Christ Jesus. I pray that. And so, Alex, uh, it's good to be back on the radio here, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, and this is on Paul's second missionary journey, so this is an exciting time, but he comes to a difficult city, Athens, and that sets it up. I know today, earlier, we were talking about something you had read uh, that really strengthens your life during difficult days. You know, Paul has come here during these difficult days, and he's going to finally get over into to Corinth and things like that, and God's going to speak to him in Corinth in chapter 18 and say, don't be afraid. It's difficult and it's hard, but I'm with you. Alex, do we have that same assurance today? We do. You know, we really do. Uh, He was in this place called Amphipolis, which means the surrounded city. And, you know, after Paul preaches, uh, after people are saved in Thessalonica, there's going to be a riot that we read about in chapter 17. And so I was thinking about sometimes people seem surrounded by pressure and stress and troubles. And um, Acts 17, of course, is a very famous chapter, and we're going to get there. But this morning, Bert, I was reading Spurgeon's Morning and Evening Devotions, and that's more than a century ago, just one of the the wisest men of God. Spurgeon was a giant, wasn't he, Bert? He was. He was. One of the greatest preachers ever. He, they called him the prince of preachers in his day. Yes, they did. Let me read this as we get into a brand new week of Exploring the Word, and you mentioned Memorial Day and Memorial Day weekend, and again, how we do thank all the people that have given their lives for our freedom, for our country, and it does remind us of Jesus who gave his life for us. But uh, in Spurgeon this morning, Genesis 42, verse 2, you remember the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, and he went down to Egypt, and it says there's corn in Egypt. And Spurgeon wrote this, listen to this, folks. Famine had pinched all the nations. It seemed inevitable that Jacob and his family would suffer great want, but the God of providence, who never forgets us, the objects of his electing love, had stored a granary for his people by giving the Egyptians warning of the scarcity and leading them to treasure up the grain for the years of plenty. Little did Jacob expect deliverance from Egypt, but that was where God had corn in store for him. Believer, says Spurgeon, though all things are apparently against thee, rest assured that God has made a reservation on your behalf, and in 
the role of thy griefs, there is a saving clause. Spurgeon says, God will deliver thee and will assuredly come to you in your time of extremity, and you will magnify the name of the Lord. If men do not feed thee, ravens shall. If the earth yield not wheat, heaven shall drop with manna. Therefore, says Spurgeon, be of good courage and rest quietly in the Lord. God was in all the hands of the beloved Joseph. He opened or closed the granaries at will. And so the riches of God's providence are all in absolute power. All right, now listen to this, and we're going to move on. I I think this is so beautiful. He said this, um, Joseph was abundantly ready to care for his own family. Jesus is unceasing in his faithful care for his brethren. Our business is to go after the help which is provided for us. We must not sit still in despondency, but bestir ourselves. Prayer will bear us soon into the presence of our royal brother. Once before his throne, we have only to ask, and we will have. God's stores are not exhausted. And it's beautiful. Spurgeon says that God can make the sun rise in the west if he wants. And God's heart is not hard. He will give the corn to us. Lord, forgive our unbelief, and this evening constrain us to draw largely from thy fullness, receiving grace for grace. And Amen. it seems a little off topic, but no, I just feel that a lot of us need a reminder nowadays that the Lord is in control. God does hear the prayers of his people. His sources are unlimited. God is our source. And Bert, you know, uh, our nation does need a revival. Our nation needs the gospel. In a way, I kind of think America of 2021 is a little bit like Athens in yeah. Acts 17. Paul goes up and shares the gospel with some people who were agnostics, some people that were polytheists. In other words, they believed in many gods. Some people that were pantheists, they believed that everything was God. Some of those Greeks would have had just very distorted views of, of truth. But Jesus is proclaimed by Paul. And in a way, I think we, we live in sort of a an Acts 17 Mars Hill culture of our own nowadays, Bert. Do you? I agree. And also something that you'll find here is the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers divided. Those Epicureans live life. You only go around once in life, get all the gusto you can. And then the Stoics said, no, you need to be rigid in your life and live a disciplined life to hold yourself up. It was like a, you know, two divisions. Sounds a little bit like of America today, the division that we live in. And about just every so often you'll see is America really divided and when you see the way the vote was and concerning the president, what people are saying and the direction they want to go, it is a divided area. And and so Paul, being here, after leaving, like you said, Berea, Thessalonica, and he when he got there, he said, Titus and Timothy, you come on over here and join us. And so, but in Athens, at least that is, we want to hear what you have to say. Now, uh, I think this says best of what it means in verse 21. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So they wanted to hear this. Now, after they heard it, uh, a lot of them didn't like it. But guess what? 
if you read ahead, some of them did, Alex, the gospel will reach people. And he begins that, but he looks for an avenue of conversation. Uh, if you were to take, uh, you know, uh, evangelism explosion, uh, any any program where you're witnessing and you're going and knocking on a door, you're taught to look for something that will cause you to to at least engage these people if they have a, toys. A hook yeah, to a hook. Notice that they have toys out there. That means they have children. If if a guy has a boat, notice he's probably a fisherman. So notice those things. So as Paul was going through the city of Athens, he noticed they were given to many gods. But he found one particular statue that said to the unknown God, and he said, okay, this is it. He, As you called it, he found that hook to start out the conversation to share Christ. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he didn't start out with Christ. He started out with, hey, I know the, this God. He's the God who created everything. He's the God that's in control. And uh, so that got their interest in it, didn't it? Well, it, it really did. And, you know, I think about this where it talks about they enjoy just talking about every new thing. Um, Bert, have you ever tried to share the gospel with people and it's like you could present truth, but they wouldn't really latch on to it because they just enjoyed not so much responding to truth, but just talking about right. ideas. Yeah. And and let me say this, folks, just to... to I don't know, sort of philosophize and spiritualize. There's no commitment required in that. Let me just say the gospel does require commitment and response. And uh, I've had people say to me, some kind of um, almost new agers who would say, well, you know, it's not the destination, but the journey. And by that, they sometimes mean, well, it's, it's not that we decide or we respond to truth, but we just are forever grasping. C.S. Lewis, 70 years ago, was uh, thrown this at Oxford. Somebody said, well, it's not, you know, the arrival, but it's the hopeful traveling. And C.S. Lewis very wisely responded. He said, well, look, if there's not a destination to arrive at, we can't travel hopefully. Otherwise, we're just wandering aimlessly. He said, the only reason that you can travel hopefully is that deep inside you know there's a destination point that we're going to arrive at someday. And for the person who's honest, that destination is the truth of Jesus Christ. My point being, when Paul is at Athens, uh, and he goes to this place called the Areopagus, um, and, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but here's the thing. Those that are just kicking the can down the road yeah. and not really responding, they've been around a long time, hadn't they, Bert? They have. And again, in a... In a place like Athens that has many gods, it reminded me a story of Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers and authors. Chuck talked about going to Brazil on a mission trip the first time, and man, he is preaching and very effectively shared the gospel. People responded all over, and he was so excited. And when he got there, the missionaries weren't near as excited as he was. And uh, he said, what is it? And he said, I just want to tell you, these are spiritists. Uh, there's many mm. gods, and the way you presented the gospel, all these people did was add Jesus to their list of gods. Mm. And they said, you've got to streamline your message where you say there is no list of gods. Jesus is God, 
and he is the only one on your list. And so mm. here in Athens, many gods, but the way the way Paul presents this at the Aragopolis is to say that Jesus is the God. He is the God, exclusive. And we're living in a day when people don't like to hear that. They, they, yeah. you know, yeah. the like you said, they, oh no, give me a plan B. All the all all roads lead to Rome. Well, all religions lead to heaven. No, they don't. It's only through Christ. You know, uh, when I was in graduate school, there was a big um, kind of New Age center in Virginia, and they had a picture of um, kind of a mountain with these hillsides, and it said, uh, paths are many, truth is one. Now, that might sound good, but the Bible warns and says there's a way that seems right to a man, the end of which are the ways of death. And just like, you know, uh, not every road will get you to Washington, D.C., uh, if if you're on 95 North, uh, you'll get to Washington. But if you're on I-40 West, that road won't get you to Washington. And, and not every road will get you to the city called Heaven either. And what sets it apart is not somebody's opinion or somebody's brilliant oratory. It's the resurrection of Jesus. The only man that ever rose from the dead said that he was the one and only way. That's Jesus. We've said it on the show. There's there's 10,000 ways to be lost. There's one way to be saved, and that's through a relationship with Jesus. Do you have that relationship? You can, beginning today. You're listening to Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. We're going to be back. We're still in Acts chapter 17. We've got two or three other things to talk about here. And then we're going on to the next place that Paul goes to, a place called Corinth. You don't want to miss that. We'll be back right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Paul Doremus, Acting Assistant Administrator for Fisheries at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Fisheries. He oversees management and conservation of fisheries and the protection of marine mammals and marine protected species. Psalm 104.25 reminds us that the sea and all its creatures are God's creation. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Father, guide Paul Doremus in his work at the NOAA. In the name of Jesus, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. The summer edition of our National Leadership Prayer Journal is available now. To get your copy, go to pausetopray.org. Sometimes the things that stand in the way of your spiritual progress aren't things at all. But Dr. Tony Evans says that if you're on God's path towards success, no obstacle matters. He'll share an example as we spend two minutes with Tony. I know some of you think that you're not going to make it because people keep getting in the way. One of the great manifestations of God is when folk who in the way get moved by God. One of the great stories of our church is when we were in a Del Turner Elementary School and the school told us we couldn't meet there anymore. There were some hardliners on the school board and they said, we are, we are not going to let you stay there anymore, so get out. And, and we got the votes to get you out. And they, they did have, they, we had some people who were for us, but we had two people who were against us, which swayed it to the negative. 
We had a prayer meeting about, you know, God overruling, but we couldn't see how it would happen. We went there. We were sitting out there for like two hours waiting. They finally came out to Roman, and this is what they said. They said, uh, we have good news for you. You will be able to remain in the school. And the reason you're going to be able to remain in the school is that the two people who are against you were riding here together, but there was an accident on the highway that blocked them from getting here. And we can't wait for them any longer. So we voted with who we had. We saw God intervene and block man. So the beautiful thing about your success is you can stop it, but no man can stop it. If you're tired of standing in the way of your own growth and success, check out Tony's CD series, The Spiritual Toolkit. Get details today at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You got pain, he's a pain If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, save it. He's a prison shaking savior. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're in Acts chapter 17. We're going to make a few more comments and then we'll move on to 18. But I enjoy the latter part of chapter 17 because when I say enjoy, it really tells you what happens uh, at a response time, at an invitation time. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Alex, there's the three responses. Those that rejected, those that said, well, we're not convinced, but we want to hear more. But those that believe immediately and say, I'm on board, I'm with Christ. Guess what? That hasn't changed from then until now. When the gospel's presented. Well, amen. Amen. And you know what's interesting? You know, Athens was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. 500 years before the birth of Christ, uh, Athens really had its heyday, and it was kind of a, a world center of commerce and economic power, but of, of academics as, as well. And, you know, in a way, by the time of the Apostle Paul, they were sort of riding on their coattails, if you would, yeah. and they still prided themselves on their, their rich literary and academic history. Now, what, what's interesting is, I mean, you know, I know there's sin and there's blindness. First John says, if any man says he has no sin, he deceives himself and he makes God a liar. Sin has bias, blindness, and bondage. We've talked about this before. But there's also a little bit of national pride here, and that's why they would, you know, in verse 18, say, you know, what will this babbler say? You know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this. The, the word literally means seed picker, um, you know, just like somebody who's gullible. Have you ever seen somebody, and they'll cross a four lanes of traffic because they think they might have seen a penny on the other side of the road? I've probably been guilty of that. Um, but a, a seed picker meant somebody that was gullible. 
or somebody that was easily fooled. And in 18, the Epicureans and Stoics said of Paul, what will this babbler or seed picker say? He seems to be setting forth strange gods because they preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, Bert, this is fascinating, and I want to take just a second and talk about what Paul, brilliant, remember, Paul said, I have become all things to all people, if by any means I might win some. The different missionary journeys and different audiences, Paul preached the same message to religious Jews, to pagans in Asia Minor, and to philosophers in Athens. All right, to the religious Jews, he gave the history of God dealing with Israel, the prophecies of Jesus and the resurrection, to pagans. When See, when Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra, uh, a crippled man was healed, and the pagan population uh, worshipped them as Zeus and Hermes, and they responded by teaching about the one true creator using illustrations from creation, but to the philosophers in Athens. Now, remember Colossians 2.8, beware of vain philosophy, but yet in Acts 17, Paul showed his his literacy, he even quotes, you know, one of their philosophers. But, Bert, I'm going to say this, I'm going to throw it to you. If you ever tour the Billy Graham Museum in Charlotte or the Cove up in Asheville where the the Ruth and Billy Graham Conference Center, there's, uh, if they still display it, I saw this thing, it was like a lot of um, cubby holes, like a thing you'd hang on the wall and like post office, uh, a letterbox thing, and there was all these sermon outlines, and somebody going through the, the museum said, wow, they had 1,500 of Billy Graham's sermons. He said, wow, 1,500 different messages. <laughs> and the tour guide said, no, one message, yeah. just 1,500 different ways to present it. Yeah. I mean, Paul, Paul was like that. The one message of the risen Savior through whom we have salvation, but whether it was religious Jews or just lost, unsaved pagans, or spiritual, somewhat arrogant philosophers, Paul knew how to reach them with that one message, didn't he? He did, and what he said here, you are very religious in, in verse 22. You know, he they were religious, the difference in that, and, and following Christ, and he started out, but you know, as he presents this gospel, it builds and builds and builds. He draws them in, but he makes some very interesting, I'd say, scientific words in here. He says, uh, and he has made us from one blood, every nation, of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. That is great theology encompassed in this message of presenting the gospel. Alex, for me, when I read that, it said, okay, Bert, you want to come and you want to present Jesus, but while you're presenting Jesus, you can present these great truths uh, out of the Word of God, you know, and share them. And that's exactly what Paul does here. And so they listen, he brings them in, and they're all, I think they're following him well until he gets to Jesus and his resurrection. <laughs> but what is, notice he says in verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will, what? Judge the world in righteousness. Now, 
they were trying to be the judges, but G Paul said no. Excuse me. He mm -hmm. he said it's Jesus that's going to going to be the judge. Now I think that would kind of rub them the wrong way because they were trying to judge Paul, and Paul said, "I want you to know you're going to be judged in righteousness of the man who overcame death." Uh, that kind of puts them in a position of defense here, doesn't it? Well, that's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, Paul, it might have seemed like there was just meager results from this, but I want to tell you, uh, Paul couldn't have known that he was preaching one of the most significant, most remembered, what would be one of the most talked about sermons in church history. And I've got to say this, Paul knew that the resurrection was an idea that they would scoff at. Paul, we see this here. You mentioned the uh, verse 26 that it says, God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. By the way, that's a scientific reality that many in that day wouldn't have known. That's right. That the life is in the blood and there's one human race. By the way, people ask about, you know, what, what does the church have to say regarding the races there's one race, the human race. But here's the thing. Paul was very knowledgeable about his audience. Paul was very academic here. Uh, and he did not avoid what would be controversial or soft pedal any aspects of his message. He talked about the fact that Jesus rose. I'm going to tell you about the, the unknown God, the one true God that you ignorantly worship. Him I declare to you. And it says this in verse 27. You know, Paul gives hope here. He says, you know, you're you're groping in the dark for a God that you you instinctively know is there, but you really don't know about. But he says, uh, though he be not far from every one of us. Uh, I'm going to believe Paul was saying what you and I say sometimes, Bert, that Jesus is as close by as a prayer. And I want to say this. Uh, in a way, God obviously is a very complicated subject. But it's very simple. He loves you. And and he is not far from you. God is not far from you, who, whoever you are right now. God is very close. Um, Paul quotes uh, one of their own prophets. You know, Paul says this in verse 28. Here's the truth that's very clear to which one of the Greek poets may be alluded to. For in him we live and move and have our being which is true, because in verse 26, he said, God has appointed the bounds of our habitation. Now, we often quote Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 16, that says the, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. See, God, God has done everything. Let me speak about the bounds of our habitation, if I may. God has done everything to make it most conducive for you to be born again and be saved the only thing God won't do is override your free will. Uh, it is true. In him we live and move and have our being. He created us. He's blessed us. You're alive here in the gospel right now because God wills it. But you have to accept him. Now, Paul quotes one of their poets. He says, we are his offspring. All right, we know that God created us. Even the, the, the people in the jungles know that. They know that God made us. I've had people in Africa say things like that. But to know about the salvation 
of Jesus. We have to proclaim that. Uh, Paul, later in Romans, would ask this rhetorical question, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? And the answer is, well, they can't. So we have to go into all the world and, and tell them, don't, don't we, Bert? So they will know about Jesus, and they'll be able to believe, because look, verse 31 says, there's coming a day of judgment. And so while we have opportunity, remember Jesus said, the night comes and no man can work. While it is day, while we're alive, while we have opportunity, we need to work God's fields of harvest, sowing that seed of the gospel. And when you see the, as he's wrapping this message up, uh, again, he says, this God has made us. We did not make God with our own talents, our art, our devices from gold or silver or the most precious thing you have. When I see that, we see that we are the most precious created thing that God has is humanity. And so and again, this ignorance of God. Uh, now, I, I think he used that word purposefully because mm-hmm. he was, quote, in the most learned city, supposedly, of the world of that day. And he uses the word ignorance to let them know. And you were talking about Athens and how they had been. Uh, they're they're, they're kind of, especially in the area of commercial and economic level, they're a has-been. They were the center, yeah. and it's moved on to Corinth, and that's where he goes to next. But mm-hmm. Athens still had that history of philosophy, feeling good about themselves, knowing from where they come and how important they are. And they relished that, and they did not want to lose that. And so they wanted to hear him, but again, were they open-minded? They, Their words say they were, but their minds were not, I, I think. And so notice what he says here in verse 31. And she said, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He has given assurance of this by all raising him from the dead. In other Mm -hmm. words, this unknown God, this God, none of your gods has this power. None of the gods that you've built idols to has any power. But the God that I'm referring to you raised from the dead, and that's our assurance that he is God and he would judge us. All assurances in Christ. And when they heard that, they mocked. Others said, we'll hear more. But some believed. And Alex, you you know, just because one person responds at one of your meetings and not a dozen or two dozen, we mm-hmm. come back sometimes saying, man, all we had is one. You never know what that one may be. Uh, oh, I know. It may be, quote, the next Billy Graham, the next Adrian Rogers. You never know who that one will be. And so the gospel's to be presented no matter when, how, or where so others can hear. And so, and, and it's worth it. It uh, is. I mean, it is worth it. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we want as many people saved as, as can be. But you know what? Never... Never feel like an outreach for the Lord was was a failure or something like that. Verse 34 says, certain men, I've, I've got my old King James here, certain men clave to Paul or join themselves to Paul. And the interesting thing is, says, certain joined unto Paul and believed, among the which was Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Now, it's interesting in verse 34, certain people. See, the gospel is personal, 
And today, friend, you, you might be that certain person, not some general abstract, you know, well, uh, God, God loves the world. No, God loves you. <laughs> God loves certain people. And just like some people, they listened to Paul, they believed. We hope that you'll believe today if you're not sure that you're saved. And you say, you know, I, I, mean, I hope I am. I, I'm going to just trust that maybe I am. No, be sure. You can be sure. The Word of God promises that if you will turn to Christ, call on His name, He will hear you. And, Bert, I want to give that number. I know we've got a, a ministry partner. Hey, look, no strings attached. This is just to make sure that you know Christ. You can talk to somebody. Somebody will give you biblical truth. You can pray with somebody. Bert, what is that number? That number is 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. And just like a group of those said, we will hear more about this. You may need to hear a little bit more than what just Alex said or I've said. And you can make that call right now and call them. Triple eight, need him. And they'll give you that little more that you need. Bible verses that you might need to know and to bring you to Christ. And what happened here, and I said we'd get to chapter 18. All we're going to say is... Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Let me suggest mm -hmm. something that you do. Go to the back of your Bible, and most uh, Bibles have maps in it, and go to Paul's second uh, missionary journeys, usually marked first, second, and third. Follow that and see what happens after he gets into Europe. He goes to Neapolis. He goes to Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica, Berea, and to Greece. Look where Athens is, rather. Look where it is, right on the tip there. And he's making his way so that they can hear the gospel. Good news. Hey, we're going to take your phone calls, 888-589-8840. Give us a call. Each year in the U.S., abortion kills more than 800,000 babies. Every one of them was alive, breathing, human, with a soul. More than 50 million babies have been killed since 1973. Thousands of American flags to honor the loss that leaves a gaping hole in so many other lives. Yet goosebumps looking at that. COVID-19 is killing people too. U.S. death toll tonight topping 200,000. A little perspective from American Family Radio. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. No one likes to suffer difficult circumstances. In this era of easy believism, it's often conveyed, if life isn't always smooth, we're doing something wrong. The scripture teaches us, however, that our Lord often meets fruitful branches with additional pruning. The pruning is not punishment. It's actually to make us even more fruitful. If you're in a rough spot right now, take heart. What may feel like the squeeze to end all squeezes could very well be the Lord's pruning for additional fruitfulness. When the Lord prunes us, he does so for our good. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 4, 16, we read this about Jesus. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. I recently learned that 61% of adults wear some type of corrective lenses. We may be farsighted or nearsighted, or we may have astigmatism so that everything is just fuzzy, but corrective lenses help us to have a 20-20 view of what we need to see. Well, Jesus Christ is the lens through which God wants us to read and examine His Word. Seeing Scripture through the lens of Jesus reveals God's redemptive purpose from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Ask Jesus to give you 20-20 spiritual eyes as you study His Word. He's the one who makes the things of God clear. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We're going to go to the phone calls right now and take your Bible questions. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Hey, a couple of little uh, messages here. We, Eric in Southern California says he's listening on the AFR website. Thank you. And he says he wishes there were an AFR station near him in Southern California. Well, you know, for everybody that maybe is not near a station there, and there are you know, nearly 200. We thank God for that. But there is the website, AFR.net. You can listen online. And there's, the, of course, the American Family Radio Network app. In addition to Exploring the Word, there's, oh my goodness, so much good programming. Focal Point with Brian Fisher, Today's Issues, lots of good programming. And let me say this, too, also, the shows are archived. So if we go over something that you want to hear again, you can listen again. You can forward a link to somebody. If we go over something that you think would be a blessing to somebody, you can uh, forward that along. And so Eric uh, in Southern California, thanks for listening online. And you can always email Bert and me, word at AFR.net, W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net. And your question or email might become the subject matter for a future show. But uh, radio, online, app, we love to hear from each and every one of the people, and we're we're just deeply honored you would listen, and we thank you, don't we, Bert? We do thank you, and we're glad you're there, and we hope that uh, what God does through AFA, AFR, and Exploring the Word will be a blessing to you. Well, let's go to the phone lines. People have called in, and we go to Texas and talk to William. William, welcome. Uh, howdy, am I with you? You're you're yeah. you're ready, man. Howdy from Texas. That is perfect, son. First call in the month uh, of June. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, <clears throat> I'm a first time caller. Been listening for a long time now. So uh, thanks for all you guys do. Bless you. Um, my question is a pretty simple one. Uh, I've been a follower of Christ my whole life. 
and uh, there's been many things that I've prayed for that have not come to be, and uh, I, I've found peace in it in my in my way. But my question is, is the the prosperity that the Bible talks about is it physical or spiritual? Is it is it more physical or more spiritual? Or you know, what do you guys think about that? Thank you, William. Good call. Uh, is it economic? Is it whatever? Let me see two or three things. Let me start this off with. Uh, you and it has to do with freedom too. Uh, I want. I'm going to make that one first. Uh, you know what's happened? We have a lot of people who listen to us who've been incarcerated, and they have told us, William, they were bound and enslaved outside of prison and now in prison they've been set free at liberty because of what Jesus Christ now they're still in incarcerated but it's they've been set free they're in liberty uh, Paul said I know how to abound I know how to be abased and I found whatever situation that I'm in to be content the the biblical model is contentment. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't strive, but contentment is the one that God gives whatever state I'm in, situation I'm in, therewith to be content. Take it away, Alex. Well, God bless you. You know, uh, it's interesting. Some words that we hear a lot about but really aren't in the Bible all that much. One is success and the other is prosperity. In fact, uh, the word prosperity is in the Joshua 1.8, talking about having good success, and, and God will make your way prosperous. It's interesting that um, God may prosper you monetarily, or he may not. Bert, I've known some godly people that were very uh, successful and godly people that seemed to struggle their whole life, and I've, I've met some... Um, very, very Christ-like, successful people, and some very ungodly, um, <laughs> poor people. And so, though the world often just equates success only really with monetary things, the the greatest success in a biblical sense is to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Um, two books that, you know, one is a oldie goldie, and one just came out. Uh, when God doesn't make sense, Bert, have you have you heard you that bet. book? Do yeah, Doctor Dobson. Yes, yes. That's that's a book. If you have prayed, and maybe you don't think you've got uh, the answer that you anticipated, the other Doctor Michael Brown, who's a friend of this ministry and a brilliant guy, uh, he's got a brand new book with a title of a question: Has God failed you? And the book cover, there's a tear on it. Now, I hesitate to even bring it up, but and if it were almost any other author, I wouldn't. But Dr. Brown, we know, we trust him, and he is just so wise and godly. And the answer is, God hasn't failed any of us. Uh, God has abundantly shed his grace into our lives. But if you're wondering, you know, I've prayed, and it doesn't seem like it's turned out like I thought, or should I pray differently, or should I stop praying? Bert, I have always found, and I, and I will tell you, I've had some... I've had some things that I've prayed about for 20 years. God has done some major, major things in my life, but I have found, most of all, God wanted to do something in me. You know, 
we often pray about our external circumstances, and very often God's greatest blessings have very little to do with what's external and almost everything to do with what's internal. Amen. Well said. And, and Bert, do you have some unanswered prayers you thank God for? <laughs> I do. Uh, I I do. I, I didn't know what he was asking. I'm glad he said no. Uh, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to do it real quick and go to the next caller. David wanted to build the temple, and oh, God said big time. no. God said no. He gave it to his son. Now, I just want to make this explanation. I wanted to be a good athlete and everything. And, yes, I enjoyed certain things, basketball and everything. And seeing my sons play ball and seeing them have the victory, I'll just put it, it brought more joy into my life seeing them experience some of those things than it did me experiencing those so when God says no to you, it may be because he's got something better for you. And uh, I, I just share that with you. Uh, yes, yeah. the prosperity is, listen, it is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, William. Let's go to Iowa and talk to James. James, welcome. Morning or afternoon, Alex and Bert. God be the glory. Amen. Bless you. To him alone goes all the glory, James. Absolutely. Um, I talked to you guys about two weeks ago, and Alex, I had my question about a um, about when I pray uh, to really who to pray to, Jesus, God, or Holy Spirit. But And your explanation made me really dig deep into it, and I really, really feel that the Holy Spirit does not get enough credit. He's with us. He guides us. He pushes us. So I kind of find myself praying to the Holy Spirit a lot now, just because I know he's with me. And, you know, so what's your opinion on that? Is it right by saying that? Amen. Go Amen. ahead, Alex. Brother, <laughs> I, I'm smiling ear to ear. I, I think you're right. Um, God is one. That's Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4. Uh, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and this is one of the beautiful realities, mysterious, but it's absolutely rock-solid truth. There is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But, you know, verses like Romans uh, 8, 26-27 says that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. God the Spirit prays for us and intercedes with groanings or inexpressible uh, petitions that we just can't even utter. But I, I'm glad you say that because, I, you know, I, I agree. I, I don't think that we think enough about the Holy Spirit. Now, there might be some reasons for that, but, but let me say one of the... Bert, this would fix the whole world. This would fix everything. You and I did a show some years back, What Should Be Every Christian's Deepest Desire?, and we say, well, obviously for the lost to be saved. Uh, you know, there are 10,000 things we could pray for. But I want to tell you what would fix everything for the full, complete reign and rule and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen, Alex. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Let me share. I preached on this Sunday at Smithville Baptist Church, and I was talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Once you've been indwelled, you have three things you do with the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit, 
you can grieve the Holy Spirit, but what God wants is you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Amen. being filled with the Spirit is a nautical term. Most folks think about pouring water into this, and it's half full. It's really in that context where he said be filled. It's like a sailboat, and the wind's filling those sails, empowering it, uh, directing it, and that would fix it. That's exactly right. And, and I'd say, James, the Holy Spirit, he makes much of Jesus and the Father. The Father makes much of the Son and the Spirit. The Son made much of, of the Father and the Holy Spirit. That They are that. And they, listen, just, hey, just praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you, brother. And next, let's go to Alabama. Let me see if I can get my clicker up there. I got to find it first. Yeah, there it is. Denise, welcome. Hi, thank you for taking my call. It's so good to get to talk to y'all and to hear your whole program because I usually don't get off work until uh, the last 10 minutes of your program. Well, I'm <laughs> glad I'm you got to hear today. most of it. Thank you, Denise. Yes, thank you. Uh, my question is, and I'm, I'm trying to think of how I can, can put it to you in a short time. Um, we hear all the time uh, people talk about their loved ones who have passed away that were Christians. Uh, that they know for a fact that they were uh, saved and how excited they are that they're going to be with them again uh, in heaven when they go to be with the Lord. So my question is, uh, this goes to the rapture. If they're already in heaven, then how can the Lord rapture them where it says he will raise up the dead in Christ first? How can he raise them up if they're already with him? Okay, uh, mm -hmm. do you, uh, let me put it up, and Alex, you finish it up. We're going to try to get this now. I'd love to get to the next caller if we can. It's a good question. But, Denise, there, it's a reunion. The rapture is a reunion. It's those that are alive will join, but then the saints, the, the souls will come, and they're going to be a, there's going to be a great time of uniting. It, it's kind of a reunion of the body. Uh, Alex, I don't know exactly when we'll get that new body, but it may be close to during that time what'd you say well a lot hangs on the word uh, arise the dead in christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and this is in first thessalonians so the dead in christ will get their glorified body first maybe it's just a split second before those of us who are alive and remain now when someone dies who's a believer, they are in the presence of the Lord. But at that trumpet sound, then they'll get their glorified body. And then you're right, we will be reunited. We will meet the Lord and them in the air. So it's not that they come back, die again, or anything like that. But instantaneously, the dead in Christ get their glorified body. And then those that get raptured, caught up, meet them in the air. And what a reunion day it is. It's a union with Christ <laughs> and a reunion with our uh, beloved uh, Christian friends and family that have gone on. And that's not just a play on words. That is reality. Hey, praise the Lord. Thank you, Denise. Hope you enjoy that. And next, we want to go to John in Virginia. John, we don't have a lot of time, but go ahead, brother. Yes, I appreciate you both very much. Uh, Romans 13. Uh uh, Eric Bonhoeffer, I really appreciate his book. And I don't believe that we had a legitimate election. 
and I'm having difficulty with this Biden outfit. Uh, do you really reckon that the authority that we have, uh, that God has established uh, them and that we need to be submissive to them? What do you, uh, I look at the FBI, they're corrupt. I look at the judicial system, they're corrupt. Uh, how do we become submissive to something that uh, in the last days? Uh, okay, John, know. I'm not. I'm cutting you off because so we can have an answer real quick. Let me just say this: the government that Paul was talking about about being subservient to. Uh, listen, Biden did. The Biden administration did not have anything on corruptness over them. Alex, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, he he said, uh, Eric Bonhoeffer, I think um, what the caller was mentioning, uh, our friend and frequent guest, Eric Metaxas, wrote a book called Bonhoeffer, and that's uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian leader during World War II and died for his Christian faith. It's a good book, and I recommend the Bonhoeffer book by Eric Metaxas. But you know, Romans 13, 1 through 7 says, let every person be subject to to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been permitted by God. You know, let me say this. I do, and I'm only speaking for myself here, I do think that we need to be submissive to authority and respectful, because while we do live in a time of great iniquity, uh, listen, unless someone is coercively forcing you to do that which is ungodly, I think we need. We still have some recourse, but we have prayer. We have the voting booth. We have the influence. We have, of citizens. Um, we, as bad as things are, we still do have some recourse through which we can be salt and light and try to effect change for that which is godly. John, one more thing: the temple, the way it was handled in Jesus' day, was corrupt as it could be. But Jesus still paid his temple tax. He was subject mm. to that authority uh tough times alex it's been good to be with you we're gonna uh start off in corinth tomorrow and see that great great city and some great things happen there yes and we'll read about how paul went there in fear and trembling he references that hey thank you for listening to exploring the word god bless you the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the american family association or american family radio